Heavenly Father, we praise you that you are a good and gracious God who speaks. You give us your word so that we can know you. And we ask, Heavenly Father, that as we uh, explore 1 John 5, that you will give us assurance of the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Do you have a skill that not many people know about? Maybe you're a master cross-stitcher, or you've got the skill of being able to recycle bottles and turn them into cups, or maybe you're a Bitcoin expert. Uh, My skill that maybe you don't know that I have is that I can restring squash rackets. Yeah. (laughs) It's not that impressive, really. When I first started restringing squash rackets, I was not confident. The guy I borrowed the the squash racket stringing machine from, he gave me a couple of pointers that were a little bit vague. They didn't really help. And so what did I do? Well, I went to YouTube, didn't I? I found a YouTube clip. And the first time, it took me hours to restring that racket. And I made so many mistakes and I put so many knots in the string that was going in the squash racket that I I lost count. It was an exercise in frustration, I tell you. I wasn't confident. Well, how I went about stringing my first squash racket is how we can be about our Christian life sometimes. We can not feel confident, not feel sure. We can be left kind of hoping that maybe a random YouTube clip will, will give us the certainty that we're looking for. Well, today John raises the question for us, how can I be sure that I'm saved? How can I be sure that eternal life is mine? How can I be confident that after my days lived on this earth are over, that I will be in paradise with Jesus? And it's a big question. Maybe it's one you've asked yourself. And before we look at the answer that 1 John chapter 5 gives us, we do need to know that we actually need an answer to this question. How can we be sure? Because if we are unsure of being saved, that's going to undermine our confidence in God. It'll undermine our confidence in Jesus and his death and his ability to forgive our sin. If we are unsure, it will affect our zeal for God's global mission and sharing Jesus with our neighbours. If we're not sure, it means that when we're striving for godliness and holiness and and loving our neighbour, that we're not going to do that with the same freedom we might have if we were sure. Instead, we'll be burdened, always wondering, is it enough? We also won't have the confidence that we need to be able to approach God in prayer. So let's have a look at 1 John 5 and see whether we can answer this question of how we can be sure that we're saved how we can have confidence. Well, the Apostle John gives two reasons that we can be sure. Uh, Reason number one, we can be sure because we are reborn. And we see three characteristics of someone reborn in verses 1 to 5. John writes in verse 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. The first characteristic of someone born of God is belief. A person whom God has born, whom he's delivered by his Holy Spirit through the good news of Jesus into his family, believes that Jesus is the Christ. What does it mean to believe that Jesus is the Christ? Well, Christ is another word for king. 
You can't be given new birth by God and not believe that Jesus is the king. It would be like a climate change activist suddenly denying climate change. You can't imagine Greta Thunberg, I'm probably pronouncing her name wrong, but the teen, the teen climate activist in her next speech to world leaders saying, actually, guys, I don't believe this anymore. Climate change isn't a real thing. Sorry. And you especially couldn't think of her saying that and then still claiming to be a climate change activist. The two things go hand in hand. Well, so if you are in God's family, you're born again and you believe that Christ is king. The two go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. And so if you're in God's family, you recognize Jesus is God's king. And that means that you live with Jesus as your king. You recognize his authority over you. And the second characteristic here of someone born of God is in verse 1 as well. Everyone who loves the father loves his child as well. The second characteristic is love. As we've seen, as we've gone through the book of 1 John, someone born again into God's family shows their love for God by loving God's son and loving the new family that they are born into, the church, the brothers and sisters in Christ. How do we do that? How do we show that love? Well, the answer there is there in verse 2. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. And here is a summary of God's commands that Jesus gives us. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. And the Apostle John tells us that these commands are not burdensome in verse 3. If we are born into God's family, we will want to do these commands. We will want to love. Now the third characteristic if we're reborn into God's family is in verse 4. We have overcome the world, John says. Now overcoming the world in John has to do with being delivered from darkness to light. Our Christians are not going to suddenly be seen as victorious by our world, especially uh, when we think about what the majority world or what used to be called the third world, where there are Christians who are marginalized and persecuted and disrespected in ways that definitely does not look like victory in our world. It doesn't look like they've overcome. But if we are born of God, we have overcome. We are no longer under the power of sin and the devil. We're under a new power, the power of Jesus' victorious power, his kingly power, as we wait for his return. And so our relationship with the world, if we're in God's family, has changed forever. We have overcome it. And this all happens not through something that we do, but based on what Jesus has done. It's through faith in verse 5, through believing that Jesus is the Son of God. So when we believe in Jesus, we overcome the world and our values become different from the world's values. That's why Christians are often seen as odd and more and more in Australia as subversive. We no longer live what the world lives for. Instead, we live for Jesus which means we have overcome. Now, how does all this help us to be sure? sure? Well, being reborn takes away some of the guesswork. It's 
being sure of our salvation is not based on what we do or what we have done, but on the fact that God has given us new birth. And if we are born again, we will have these characteristics. We will believe that Jesus is the Christ. We will love God and we will love each other. And we have overcome the world. We will have different values from the world. Now, we're all different people. We might have those things in varying degrees, but they will be there. And so we can ask, am I believing that Jesus is the Christ? Am I showing love to God and to his people? Do I have different values from the world? Those things don't save us, but they are evidence in our lives that we are born again. And that is one reason the Apostle John tells us that we can be sure. Now, we we do need to address something here, I think, and that is that all this can feel a little bit subjective. How can I be sure? Well, I'll see all these evidences in my life. But what if I'm having a crisis of faith and I'm unsure of my belief? What if the evidence of my life is not love but a, a bit of a mixed detachment to God and his people? Or you find yourself watching uh, Ellen or the project on TV and you feel that your values align more with theirs than with God's values in his word. Well, Here's the reality. We're all going to have moments where one or more of these things is true of us. I just finished year 12 and I remember having a crisis of faith. I was doubting whether Jesus had risen from the dead. And if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then he's not king. He's not Christ, the first evidence of someone being reborn. I remember sitting in church after the service one evening and thinking about this, and I was a bit distraught. What if it's not true? What if the thing that I based my life on isn't real? How can I be sure? Now, at that moment, I didn't cease to be part of God's family. God has given me a new birth. I'm I'm his child. And God used this moment by his spirit to draw me back to him, to draw me back to his word. I read 1 Corinthians 15, and God, by his spirit, convicted me of the truth of his resurrection. And that is what God will do with us in moments of doubt, in moments where we're not loving, in moments where our values are the world's values and not God's values. If we are reborn, God's spirit will kindly and lovingly draw us back, convict us of our sin, Remind us of the goodness of God and how good it is that Jesus has died for us. He will give us confidence. He will make us sure. So how can we be sure? Well, we can be sure because our lives are born into God's family. And we will have there will be evidence of that. We will believe Jesus is King. We will love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we have overcome the world. So that was reason number one. That's not all we have to rely on because there's reason number two. Uh, We can be sure of our hope of salvation because of God's testimony. Now, when we want to be sure of something, we go to those who are there and ask them, don't we? We search for witnesses. Uh, The other day I saw that police on Facebook were searching for witnesses of a car accident so that they could know what had happened. We trust eyewitnesses. 
We trust their testimony. Well, with the Christian faith, there is an objective truth that has witnesses that we can trust. Uh, In the Old Testament, in the justice system, one eyewitness account wasn't enough. You needed two or three. But when it comes to the hope we have in Christ, God gives us here in 1 John chapter 5 at least three witnesses. But I think he gives us four. The first two witnesses are given by the fact that Jesus came. Verse 6. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but water and blood. Now what is that talking about? Water and blood. Well, most likely, it is talking about how Jesus came to earth in his earthly ministry. His ministry which started with water when Jesus was baptised in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. And his ministry that ended in his death as he shed his blood on the cross for our sin. And it's referring to everything that happened in between. Jesus' ministry was in a historical time, in a historical place. It's a bit surprising to us, I think, that it's the the blood and water that testify and give us this certainty of our hope. But our hope is not misplaced when we believe in Jesus. It's not some higher pie-in-the-sky idea that someone dreamed up. It's not... Sorry, it is based on the historical testimony of Jesus' life. Uh, Some people think that Christianity is like the person who plans their financial future based on the fact that they're going to win lotto. Did you know the chances of you winning lotto are 1 in 135 million? Uh, There's a mathematician. uh, Her name is Effie Zahos, and she puts it like this. You're more likely to catch a six at the MCG, get a competitive dancing injury, and even get struck by lightning than you are of winning the big one tonight. To plan your financial future on the chance that you might win would be silly and disappointing. But Christianity is not like that. First, a lot more rests on our hope in Jesus than our financial future. We're talking about our eternal future. But we can have certainty that Jesus lived. He breathed normal oxygen like we have. He died, he came by water and blood. It gives us a sure grounding. It's a historical fact. It is grounded in reality. It is not a pie-in-the-sky hope. We can base the hope that we have in Jesus on his ministry with confidence. The third testimony that we see here is the Spirit. In verse 6, it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. How does the Spirit testify? Well, the answer is that the Spirit testifies to Jesus' ministry, that he came, that he was born of water, that he died, that he shed his blood. What the Spirit does is affirm to us the truth about Jesus. In fact, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, comes and dwells in us when we are born into God's family, and he teaches us the truth. I like in the example I gave of my doubts earlier, the Holy Spirit used his word in scriptures to assure me of the truth about Jesus. The Spirit, the water and the blood we're told in verse 8 are in agreement. The Spirit is not going to teach us and assure us of something that is contrary to Jesus and his teaching. The Spirit will teach us the truth 
about Jesus because the Spirit is truth. So we have the testimony of the Holy Spirit. It's a divine testimony. But here's the fourth testimony. We also have God's testimony. God is the one who tells us this is truth. Human testimony is good, but God's testimony is better, we're told in verse 9. And we have God's testimony about his Son. The God of the universe, the Heavenly Father, attests to this truth. And if you believe in Jesus, you believe his testimony. It's a, it's a Trinitarian confirmation. It's a, God is testifying to us about Jesus. In the 1400s, uh, some thoughtful scribe uh, tried to add this to the text. So if you have a look there in your NIV Bibles and you have a look at the footnote on verses 7 and 8, uh, it says that there are three that testify in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. Now those words are not part of the original text, but they are true nonetheless. The testimony we have is a divine testimony from heaven about Jesus. And where the rubber hits the road for this, how we can be sure, is found in verse 11. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. If we believe God's testimony about Jesus, how he came by blood and water, that if we believe in him, that we can have eternal life. We can be sure because God tells us that it is true. In fact, if we don't believe that Jesus has come, we're calling God a liar. That's what John says in verse 10. If you reject it, you're saying, God, you're wrong. We don't think you're right. You're lying to us. But if you accept the testimony of God, you can be sure because what we believe about Jesus is from God. That Jesus forgives your sin. That Jesus gives you eternal life. Remember, being sure about our salvation is not about what we have done. It is about what God has done for us in his Son, in Jesus Christ. So we can be sure. We can have absolute confidence. We can have 135 million and 135 million confidence that our salvation is sure based on what Jesus has done for us on the cross of Christ. So our last point now, well, what does that look like? So because we are sure, we can live with this confidence. Actually, 1 John uh, 5, in verse 13, we're told that this is why John writes his letter, so that we can be sure. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Do you know that you have eternal life? Are you born into God's family? Do you exhibit the characteristics of someone who is reborn? Do you believe God's testimony? Uh, since learning to restring squash rackets, I've gotten a lot more confident. I've been stringing squash rackets now for over three years, and on a good day, I can string a racket in an hour with no knots. That's quite an achievement. And when someone gives me a racket that needs restringing, I don't doubt that I can do it. I take that racket and go, yes, I can restring that racket. Well, we can have that same confidence, that same surety with the Christian life. We can live 
with that confidence. And John outlines some of the ways of being sure of our salvation will help us to live for Jesus. He writes in verse 14, This is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. What confidence to be able to approach God. We read earlier in Isaiah that the the throne room, that picture of Isaiah before God, we have confidence to come before God in prayer. We've got a special focus on prayer this month. And have you stopped to think about just how amazing it is that we can approach God in prayer? That we can ask God stuff, anything, and he'll answer us? One of my many emails in my week is the Barefoot blog. And in this blog, the Barefoot investor, he responds to people who send him an email through the week. But only ever three people, maybe sometimes four. And before your email ends up on the Barefoot blog, first it gets curated by an editor. And then only the lucky few get through. Not every email is heard. Not every email is read. It's not like that with us and God. Because we have believed God's testimony. We are reborn. We are in his family. We can have confidence to talk to God. We don't have to approach him with anxiety or worry or feeling like we're going someplace where we're not welcome. No, we can have confidence to come before the very throne room of God. And you know what? Every request is heard. John actually goes one step further in verse 15 and says, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. We have the confidence of answered prayer. It doesn't mean we always get what we want, but it does mean that not one of our prayers goes unheard. There are no spam prayers. There's no junk folder that God has for for junk prayers. No, he listens to all our prayers. He hears all our prayers and he answers them according to his perfect will. And that includes prayers for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Our confidence means that we can actually pray for each other, whom we love, especially when someone we know is caught in sin. Verse 16, if you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. When we pray, when we pray, we trust that God will work by the power of his spirit in the lives of his people. And so when we see someone sinning, it's good that we talk to God about it, that we pray for them, that God would intervene by his spirit and bring them to repentance so that they can have life. But we're also told here that there is unrepentant sin, that there is sin that leads to death. And John says not to pray about that. Uh, From the testimony of Scripture, the sin that leads to death, uh, the sin that can't be forgiven, is the sin of continually turning away from Jesus, continually not believing God's testimony. It is the constant rejection of Jesus that is never repented of. But there is sin that can be repented of, sin that leads to life because it is repented of. And we should pray for the people we know who are caught in sin. How do you go with praying for other people? 
How do you go for praying for, that people would become more and more like Jesus? Is it something that you pray for? If it's not, maybe just look around, jot down a few names and commit to praying for them through the week. Now we also have extra reason for confidence in verse 18. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps them safe and the evil one cannot harm them. If we are born of God, we're his family and Jesus will protect us. He will protect us from the sin that leads to death. He will protect us from the evil one. We learn in verse 20 that Jesus has come to give us understanding so that we would know the true God, so that we would know eternal life, so that we can live with confidence and keep living with confidence, knowing that we can be sure of our salvation. What good news? We get to live like a squash restringer who is not just learning, but as one who has mastered the art. We get to live as Christians with full confidence in God. So let's let's live out that confidence. When we are sure, that is going to help us to be prayerful. Because we know that we can come before the throne room of God without fear. That's going to help us as we seek to to live for Jesus and love others. We're going to be able to love others with freedom. It's going to help us to serve with joy. It's going to help us with zeal and our love for God. So let's live the life that we have been given in God's family with confidence, sure of the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to finish this sermon with praise to God, just like the Apostle Paul did in Romans chapter 11. He writes, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen.